Welcome to the Angus Conversation. I'm your host, Miranda Ryman, with my co-host, Mark McCulley. And today we have a special guest co-host. We do. We have Dr. Esther Tarpoff. See, I'm going to call you doctor, even though you say you you don't, uh, but you earned it. You put in the work at uh, K-State to get that doctorate, so I'm going to use it today. But Esther Tarpoff is our uh, Director of Performance Programs. Thanks for joining us, Esther. I'm happy to be here. So Director of Performance Programs, what on earth do you do? A lot of different things. Depends <laughs> on the day, Mark. Um no, really, though, it will be over our Angus Heart Improvement Records. So basically, you can think about it. All the data that's coming in, whether it be birth weights, weaning weights, foot scores, um, hair shed scores, you know, all the phenotypes that are being collected come into that program um, or into this department. And so then it's answering a lot of questions about how do you collect data? Um, we work with the AGI team and also have the EPDs that go out to members, right? And so it's answering questions about the EPDs as well, um, both from our members and from commercial cattlemen. So a variety of different hats also do some uh, member education. So a lot of those commonly asked questions, what are some resources we can get into their hands to help them with those with those questions to make them feel more comfortable? I must say that Esther is sort of a, a journalist's dream and that not only does she have the academic side and can understand some of these complex things, but also really wears a producer's hat because she grew up a Kansas Angus kid, comes from that background. Also probably get to hear your your parents grumble if you do something that's not not easy for them to implement at home. Is that right? <laughs> Very, very accurate. That are my brothers. One of the two. <laughs> well, today we had some guests on that you actually got to meet while you were, were in the road traveling this summer. Is that right? Yeah. Whenever I was out um, in Kentucky and Tennessee with Alex, we sat down with these two gentlemen. We had lunch and had some really good conversations for a couple hours. A um, couple of interesting guys, and they do a few things that may be unique um, compared to what some other producers do. Yeah, they, they uh, you know, one of the things, of course, that you, I think, were first drawn into a conversation uh, conversation with them on was around inventory reporting and and how uh, how they could get involved in that and and get started. And so they they kind of walk through that in the in the podcast. But uh, also, I think really unique is is here's a couple of producers that have joined forces and, uh, you know, they use the word relevant. And I thought that was um uh, they they want to maintain relevance to their commercial customer, and they join forces and do some things cooperatively. And uh, I think uh, a pretty neat model of what they've got going on. And I think uh, definitely going to be uh, an interesting conversation for, for our listeners. Today on the podcast, I'm very excited. We've got a couple of guests with us that I actually have never met in person. I always say one of my favorite parts of the job is getting to meet new people. And so... I'm excited that today we have David Holt from Holt Farms, Livingston, Tennessee. And I believe just kind of down the road would be Kent Brown of Jared Brown and Son in Rickman, Tennessee. So thanks for coming to the podcast, guys. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. All right. Now, I hear you guys both say thanks for having us back, and I probably didn't help ID which was which. So I guess we'll start, David, if you want to just give us a little bit of background about your operation, um, just give us kind of the elevator speech. Okay, I started farming right after high school and I dairied for 26 years. I got out of the dairy in 2006 and immediately uh, transitioned into beef cattle with uh, my first 15 head of registered cows. We're now running 90 mature cows. We've got 40 replacement heifers coming on. 
and Kent and I both join forces and uh, have a bull sale every year to market our bulls to our commercial customers. Um, my wife and I have two children, two boys. One of them, Trey, the oldest, is a veterinarian, and he is into embryo transfer. He has an embryo transfer business. And here on the farm, along with that, we also um, manage the donor program for him, you know, housing donors. Um, and another young man by the name of Jared Hart, we take care of that while he's off on the road and do an embryo production for other farms across the southeast. Our youngest son has a agriculture equipment repair shop here on the, just on the other side of the farm. And him and his family are all we're all involved in the farm. And if I need them, you know, I make that phone call and they're very gracious. <laughs> David, was that the plan? Is you you sent one child out to go be a veterinarian, one of them you need re equipment repair, so go out and get trained. And and uh, was that the master plan that you set out for them? No, sir, it wasn't really a master plan, but it's it's working. And everybody, all my friends, Joe, you've got the best of all worlds. You know, you you're on top of it. And I said, no, it just happened that way. And and thank goodness it did really work. I was kind of wondering. Does yeah. that mean you're at the top of the list to get your equipment repaired? Oh, Does that mean you're at oh, the bottom no. of the list? <laughs> no, no. We got to we got to schedule this in advance. Yeah. <laughs> David, good. I'm curious as, as you made the transition from dairying to to registered Angus cattle, talk about that a little bit. What what brought you to the breed and and how big of a transition you know, I always say the the hardest working people in the world are those that have dairies. I mean, it's uh, my goodness, there there's so much so much work. So, to talk a little about that transition from dairying to running registered Angus cows. It's definitely been a transition, and I, I'll be first to say that I had a, a hard time, honestly, because you got used to those little dairy cows, you know, them big, and I like these Angus cows big, but it didn't take long to say that. Ooh, I need to moderate here, you know, I need to get some more efficient kind of cattle and, you know, steered our breeding program more toward that end and, you know, heavily maternal in those cattle. And we've still got a little ways to go. I'll be the first to admit that, but we've, I feel like we've made some leaps and bounds, you know. Excellent. If you want to give us just kind of the same kind of introduction, Kent, that'd be great just to hear a little bit more about you. Okay. Um, actually, my family started in the registered Angus business in November of 1961. My father, Jerry Brown, started it. Um, he was, both my parents taught school, and he was trying to pay for a farm and teach school and raise uh, two kids. And so he took a Sunday paper ride. And David and most of the people in Tennessee will know that. Tennessean, and he ran a Sunday paper route, saved enough money by two registered Angus heifers from a local Angus breeder. And that's kind of where it got started. And um, I'm probably the one responsible for us kind of leaving the Angus deal. He was not really a detail type person, didn't like the paperwork. He sure wouldn't like it today, but um, we left that. Me and my sister showed in another breed. And then after 20 years of encouragement from him, 
1993, we bought two drafts of open heifers in the spring, bred them that fall. Uh, the first calf crop out of that group of heifers came in 1994. And those same, same cow families are still here today. We've worked with those cow families for 30 years. Every once in a while, we'll go out and find a female that fits what we really like. And we'll, we'll bring her in to try to add a new cow family. Um, but as David mentioned, we started the Genetic Excellence Bull Sale 20 years ago. Myself and another Angus breeder did. A couple of years ago, he decided to step away. David came in, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. As, years. as a third partner and uh, been very good to us, not being boastful, just very thankful. Uh, this area is small producers. Most of them work a job in town. Uh, they've got one cow unit, basically, one bull cow unit and um, kind of challenging to get those guys to pay, you know, a lot of money for a bull, but they do pay good money. And we've been very fortunate. We try to sell about 60 to 70 bulls per year. And one thing when we started the bull sale and, and I'll give our veterinarian at that time, Dr. John Donaldson, some credit. He encouraged us when we started. He said, sell 125 commercial Angus heifers with those bulls. Mm -hmm. And he was very wise um, because it has worked extremely well. The heifers probably sell better than the bulls do but those heifers come from our bull customers. And a lot of those heifers have five and gener six generations of our breeding programs in them. And um, we have a lot of guys that run other breeds of bulls that come to our bull sale every year and buy one pen of bred heifers because they know they're maternal. They are maternal, they will raise a calf and they will work for them. And we've got a lot of repeat buyers. Um, we've been very fortunate in that. Um, we we were part of the um, Upper Cumberland Angus Association for many years, still our members, consigned to a lot of consignment sales with our females throughout uh, Kentucky and Tennessee. We have consigned to those for years. We generally calve uh, about uh, 90 to 100 cows in the fall. Some of those are raised, some of those ET calves are raised by a cooperator herd, a bull customer of mine. He's been a bull customer of mine for 25 years. And he's got really good genetics in his cow herd, by the way. So it, it works out really well. And he does an outstanding job. He's one of the best forage managers that I know. And those cattle are raised strictly on forage. And he does an outstanding job. We usually get between 20 and 25 of those a year. And we'll calve about 70 to 90 here. So. That's kind of the basics, I guess. Ken, guys, talk a little about your part of the world. So you would be, you're, you're east of Nashville, about how far? We're 100 miles, miles east. Yes, we're right off of 40, you know, north of 40, right between Nashville and Knoxville, in the northern part of Middle Tennessee. So talk about that country a little bit for those that haven't been in it. You mentioned a lot of, of smaller producers probably working, probably working off the farm, uh, smaller cow herds. Are you, are you can, are you in the, the, the Appalachian area yet? Or what's kind of, how do you consider your, where's, where's your customers running, running their cows at? Mainly here we're classified as the Cumberland Plateau. Um, okay. 
and our cows along with their their you know if you have any numbers in this part of the country for our on our behalf you know we are so spread out you know we've got cattle on you know right now four different farms um and and that's just the beast of the burden in this area if you run many cattle uh that's one of the reasons why you know you have these a lot of small herds of commercial cows that average let's say across the states what kent 30 35 maybe? about 35 used to be between 35 and 37 cows were the state average uh, and then we sure have some we have producers in this county that run two and three hundred commercial cows but it's like david said this one guy in particular that i've sold a few bulls to you know he may be running on 15 farms run that many cows yeah. and that is a challenge i assure you yeah but it's just rolling hill country uh with some you know flat land that you know is suitable for grain and in my opinion there's some of this that they are graining probably needs to be left in good old fescue you know that's held this country here together for years yeah and, sure. and you know we have that to fight to some degree. I think any area of the country you go to, you see that, don't you? Where people say they should have left that and pasture ground back when, or. Yeah. yeah. It's. Hey, how are your customers marketing calves? Do you have graded sales, board sales? Kind of talk about your customers' calves. Uh... Well, um, in this area, there are a few video sales. Uh, probably the most predominant one in this area would be in Albany, Kentucky, bluegrass. Uh, they do a lot of video sales. I know a lot of cattle out of this upper Cumberland area go to Albany and a lot of those guys about that background calves, that's where those calves end up. Uh, we don't really have any sale barns real, real close here. There's a sale barn in Crossville and a sale barn in Carthage. And we lost our sale barn in Cookville and due to development. And uh, so that was, I would say that, and there's a couple of alliance sales in the, in the area that do that. But uh, what we're seeing more and more, a lot of these commercial cattlemen here are transitioning away from the cow-calf operation into the stalker operation, backgrounding and that type deal. And because it's just, they think it's just easier and that way they are able to group these calves, co-mingle them and sell them in truckload lots. And it works well for some of them. And, and that's basically what's going on. You know, and with that, you know, you also have that few breeders that will have, you know, those 30 to 40 cows, they'll get together and we're seeing a little bit more of that and they will put their calves together and sell a load. You know, we're seeing some of that now, and that's yeah. developed in the last three years. Uh, and I think that may grow. <clears throat> there is one other thing, if I could, I need to get a, out there or tell that if I don't, my daughter in law is going to whip me. <laughs> On our farm, also in the last three years, we've started selling our beef um, to local customers. And it just seems to be growing. And, you know, what we're seeing out there in our end of it doing that is 
those customers that's looking for beef, our main question, their main question to us is, how's this calf raised? You know, where did it come from? How did it derive to be on your beef side versus this? You know, and all animals are not created, I guess you could say, you know, to be breeding stock, you know, and that's just the way it falls in this business. We all know that setting here. And uh, that's how we elect to market a lot of those uh, calves make steers out of them that don't make the cut to go through the bull sale. And it's, it's working. Uh, it's a challenge at times for sure, but it also, we like hearing the feedback on how well they like that meat versus what they went to the local grocery store. You know, we get comments quite frequent about that, and it makes you feel good, and, and you know you're, to some degree, you're heading in the right direction, you know, and for our information to put back into our breeding program. So you get a report card both from your bull buyers and from your yes. customers. Yeah. Yes. Let's talk about tools. Take these pliers. They're not revolutionary technology. Even if I added sound effects and said, pliers, the future of tool technology. You'd still just see them as something you use every day. Now let's talk about a tool that you might think is futuristic, but isn't. Genetic testing for commercial cattle. Use it to help reach your goals faster and with more confidence. Genetic testing is just a tool. Use it to build a better herd. Get started with Zoetis at beefgenetics.com. Well, I heard you early on, Kent, say something about how your dad hated records. <laughs> and it's oh, kind of ironic. He, <laughs> he, lo he loved Angus cows, but he hated records. I'll be perfectly honest. <laughs> and it's kind of ironic because we have Esther on to, to talk a little bit more about both of you guys um, kind of participating in some, some additional record keeping. And for Esther, you've traveled in their area and, and seen their location, right? Yeah, I did. Um, I went with Alex. It would have been this last summer. We sat down there and we had lunch together. You guys kind of know each other's program, but you got really introduced because of their interest in the inventory reporting program. You're exactly right. Okay. So tell me guys, why, first off, why, what interested you in that? Or was it a little arm twisting or did you uh, sign up for that willingly? Esther is very persuasive. And yeah, you put that's her with what Alex. I'm trying to figure I, I'm out I'm not here. sure, you know, maybe they just, yeah, they, they bullied yeah, they you into it. This. <laughs> Must have been a really good lunch, right? It was great. <laughs> <laughs> but talk to me a little bit about that program and maybe first talk to me before we even start in that program tell me about the record keeping on your guys's operation historically what you've been doing and how that's changed over time well for me i mean i was doing pretty much reporting you know birth weights weaning weights and you know we're we still all report like you know those don't have anything to do with it but the carcass data you know we'll collect that but we were already doing it and i had read everything you know that you guys post on the website about the inventory reporting and i was interested and then alex called one day and said you know they were going to come through and would like to sit down well that just you know prompted me to go ahead let's do this the biggest challenge for me was, and I had been lax, very lax, uh, in uh, disposing of those cows. They're no longer in the herd. And it it pushed me 
and I barely got in on the deadline, to be honest, but uh, <laughs> that's nothing new. Folks. No, I'm sure me, you, not that is me. nothing new. <laughs> but, I was uh, just thinking a man after my own heart. We work the same way here. <laughs> I work better under pressure, I guess you could say. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> and, you know, after getting into it and doing it is the best moving it by my our kids have been on me to get it done. And it's just lax when you come in out of the field and work all day, you know, that's the last thing I want to do is go in there and start disposing the cows on there. And I also had the feeling, well, well, I won't never be able to look back on that. Well, getting into the conversation with Esther and Alex, I mean, that's not true. I mean, it's all there. You know, you just look it up. Those look, you know, your recent disposed, I forget exactly what that tab is. You click on it and boom, there they all are. So you, you know, that was my biggest challenge in signing up on the program is getting that cleaned up. And and I am very thankful that we went ahead and done that now because it makes it so much easier. So much easier. And thank you. <laughs> you are very welcome. <laughs> Esther, that's we we hear that I, I think for folks wanting to get into it at the beginning, one again cleaning up their inventories, and then two that other concern of I don't I don't want to delete her because I I want to go back to that record. So may, I guess maybe maybe expand on that just a little bit for those listening that maybe have both of those kind of same reservations. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and that's a lot of the feedback that we heard prior to having inventory reporting in 2020. Um, more people would probably be familiar with the term maternal plus, which was around, um, it's been around for about a decade. Um, but we added on the inventory reporting, kind of a level one of the program to help with that biggest step of disposing of those cows that are no longer in the herd. So, and you both would have used that wizard that's inside a login that'll automatically default if a cow hasn't had a calf in the last two years. She's automatically going to go over here in an active for you. You'll have your active list. And then from there, you can move cows back and forth based on, well, actually, she's still here. I just was getting a calf reported, or maybe she's a donor or whatever the case may be. So that wizard, and you guys can both talk about this a little bit more, the whole purpose behind that was to help get over that hurdle of, boy, this is a bear to get over if I haven't canceled cows in 15 years. Um the second part of that, though, would be the next commonly most asked question is, how do I get to those produce a dam reports if I'm writing footnotes in a sale catalog or I want to go back and look at that cow? How do I see those if I cancel her? And so knowing that inside a login, there's a canceled animals list, you can actually see those. And you can also actually still see them from the app, um, the Angus mobile app, um, by clicking previously owned dams. So once members know that, that seems to help a little bit to know the data is not gone. It's just maybe in a little bit different place. I get that angst. I hate deleting anything. That's if you could see my desk right now. That's why there's stacks of things. I hate throwing things away and I hate deleting it. You just never know when you might need it. But um, so you guys both did use that wizard function then. And that helped. Yes. 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 <clears throat> Kent, was your involvement similar in terms of the reservations or 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 taking those first steps? Um, I didn't have that many reservations. I guess it was more procrastination yeah. because actually I sat in on a seminar or whatever at the Angus Convention. The first year that this came about, it's been years ago, uh, sat beside of our auctioneer, our bull sale auctioneer, actually, in the meeting, and he leaned over to me and he said, 
you are in the right place. And I just, you know, I kind of put it off. Uh, I was I was pretty good about cleaning up cow herd inventory. Um, it was not that big a deal to me. The main thing, and Esther knows this, is I'd sold a group of cows that, that back in the spring and I transferred the wrong cow. So I had to get that sorted out. And 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 if I had not done this, I wouldn't have caught it until later on next year, probably. But uh it 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 was not it was not that difficult. Um and unlike my father, I don't mind doing record keeping. I don't really enjoy it, but I don't mind it that bad. And um I can see the benefits of it. And we've always reported, you know, birth weights, winning weights, yearling weights, uh ultrasound scan data and all of that. And um are looking at maybe doing more, maybe doing some foot scores and that type of stuff in the future. So um, it was not really that big a deal to me, it, you know. What's your system for record keeping? I know that's a, it's a discussion we get into a lot with breeders and, and it usually starts with, you know, I got more data to collect, you know, you know, labor's tight and I don't have time to do that. What, what's, what's your system? Is it, is it pen and paper? Have you moved to an elect, any electronic forms or good old, good old big chief tablet and a number two pencil? Well, uh, I'm old school. I like a hard copy of everything. Um, and that's, that's what I do is, is two hard copies. Well, I would prefer two hard copies. Yes. Um, back up to the back will suffice, uh, in a bind, but, uh, what I do is when I'm calving, which I'm about, I'm about finished with that now this year, but I have just like a sonographer's pad and I just make me a grid on it. And I put the expected calving date and sire in the dam and then when the calf is born and I process it, I come back to the side to side, put all that information in there. And then about every three or four days, I'll carry that to, to my office. And I've got another hard, hard copy backup piece of paper and it stays in the desk drawer. And then when I get through, it is reported online to the, to the Angus Association and it's all stored there. We're pretty much the same system. Um, we'll, have it all printed out and I'm carrying like three, four sheets, I guess now with the cows expected due dates and, you know, it's computer generated. Thank goodness my daughter-in-law and our kids handle that in and here it is, dad, you know, it's what you've asked for and they're, they can do it a lot quicker than I can. And, but it's all, you know, pretty well kept up there. Then we, Come home at night, I update it every night. And so were they involved at all in this process when you enrolled in inventory reporting or that was all you and? Well, it was my call to make, um, you know, in the conversation, they, when we started talking about it, they didn't understand it. And I said, well, the best thing they to tell you to do is go on the website. It'll explain it in depth, a lot better than I can to you. And, you know, after talking about it, they were all just fine with it. You know, yeah, go for it. We've been trying to get you to do this for, you know, 10 years or what. So. Well, I guess, what do you guys see as the biggest benefits? Have you started, you know, do you think your customers will care? I mean, is this, does this have marketing value to you? Is it, is it about the, 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 the quality of the data, the reports you get? What, what, what are some of the benefits that you, that you find? I personally am looking forward to what it brings down the road. You know, once we 
are in this for a full year. Uh, you know, I feel like it's going to really help us in our mating our cows, you know, to certain bulls, type female out there that, that we're really looking for. And, you know, the longevity, we all know that, you know, that cow that breeds back every year and she stays in the herd, those are the ones that really makes money. And we've got to pay close attention to that, guys. And, and it's, that is my goal for this program to help us obtain that goal at the end. Yep. I, I would say and the thing that I hope it helps me do is to make a better cow because um, the people I listen to the most are my commercial bull customers. And you can learn a bunch from those guys if you will listen to them. And their big thing is, you know, longevity, maternal function, good udders, good feet, longevity. I hear that more than anything. I don't need this cow dropping out when she's six years old. Well, if I'm in this program and I may put in the bull sale catalog that this cow stayed in the herd till she was 15 years old. If that cow is enrolled in maternal plus, I think that gives what I say a little more validity. And it's, it's try to make a better cow. I mean, it's all about the cow to me. And I mean, when Esther and Alex and David and I met, I mean, I, Alex is sitting across the table with me and I said, you know how I am. It's about the cow. We have a bull sale. It's about the cow. And I'm hoping that it, we get back to the word the cow is top priority for all of us, really. I mean, I, I think that she kind of brought us to the dance and I think we need to dance with her. And that's Esther, it. that's really the, I mean, the overarching goal, if you look at it from a bigger picture view too, not on an individual breeder to breeder, but as the breed as a whole as well, right? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Making sure that essentially every cow that's around, she's getting accounted for, right? And did she have a calf? And if she didn't, what happened? And then, you know, the other really big piece of that is if she left the herd, making sure those disposal codes come in so we know what happened. And it, and that's the data, as, as you guys know, that's the data that's that's been able to go into the, the, the research to ultimately uh, deliver a, a functional longevity research EPD that's that's coming out this fall, which uh, again all is is what we've all been striving for is to better characterize those genetics uh, that that'll stay in the herd longer for your commercial customers. Again, it's a it's about the cow. You know, I wrote that down. It's a quote. I think I, um, there, Ken. I, I think and and to me, this uh, the 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 commitment you guys have made to to collect that data and turn it in allows us to 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 put that tool back in your in your hands to uh, continue to hopefully make improvements there, so. So you've got a direct line to Esther right here. Is there anything you wanna tell her to make the program better or the uh, education any better? If if you're real hard on her, we can edit this out, but. Thanks a lot, Miranda. <laughs> She's blushing. <laughs> no. no suggestions, it's perfect as it is. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll have suggestions as we travel down the road. I mean, you know. And it's all, if it's criticism, it'll be constructive. It will not be just, you know, slamming somebody. And, oh, absolutely. You've got, to tweak, you've got to tweak everything along the way, no matter what it is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, well, and the program has changed since we first rolled it out. I mean, we continue. I know, Esther, you and 
Devin and others have put a lot of, uh, you know, listen to those enroll and trying to find where those pain points are and points of frustration and and eliminate them as, as best we can. Um, when it's the folks that say, I don't like keeping records. Well, that, that's, that one's a little hard for us to get over, but, uh, as long <laughs> as, uh, you know, as long as there's a commitment to, to do what you guys are doing, it, uh, makes the program work. So you guys talked a little bit ago, you were mentioning your sale and, and talk just a little bit about that and your part of the world, you guys working together and you know, how'd that come about? How'd you guys how'd that come about? Did you guys like childhood friends that came together to sell bulls or what, what, uh, how, how did this all? Well, come? uh, the way the sale started, it started with another partner, um, and it grew, uh, David came in 12 years ago and we were feeding the bulls basically where they were being managed basically the same way, but they were fed at three different locations. And then that original partner, he stepped away last year, year before last. So it ended up just being me and David. And um, it started basically on my behalf since I was there at the beginning. Actually, we were probably talking about this 25 years ago. And it'll be 20 years this coming January. And basically, it was out of necessity. Finally, one day, I made the decision, you know, we're either going to have to do this or never talk about it again. <laughs> and and I that's the way I put it to a couple of guys. I said, I, you know, we've kicked this can down the road. Let's let's do this or let's just stop talking about it. And so we did it. There was not a Angus Bull sale, to my knowledge, in Middle Tennessee at that time. And it was kind of a unique concept. We took in four or five bulls from this small breeder, four or five bulls from this small breeder in the beginning to try to get our numbers growing. And a lot of those breeders have exited the breed or retired or whatever. And basically now there's four of us that do this. And um, we had a lot of encouragement. We had a lot of giggles uh, when we started, but we had quite a bit of encouragement from some very smart people. And we were very lucky when we started, we hired the right people when we started. And I think that was the key. And we were we were smart enough to listen to them, and uh, it's it's worked well for this area, and um, I think it's been good for the area as well. But uh, it's um, it's been good to us. So, how do you guys do? You guys uh, do you do you align on on the bulls you're going to use and and the genetics, or do you kind of? allow you kind of guys work independently in that regard and market uh collaboratively or how does that fit together we we work independently on our breeding decisions for the most part yes you know kent and i will breed or use you know some of the same bulls but you know i'll stretch that or use something different you know and you can look at that a couple of different ways i guess but you know, as long as I'm trying something I think that'll work on my farm and my herd, you know, it also gives those other guys a, a mind that, hey, this bull, he really does this, you know. You get a few more sire groups to look at and compare so you can hopefully make better breeding decisions down the road, if that makes any sense. We, we have the discussion about this time every year, well, which bulls are you looking at to bring in new? Which ones that you use the last couple of years are you going to use? And generally, we kind of call them 10 straw bulls. Uh, they may be proven bulls, they may be young bulls. 
and maybe David will try 20 straws on two different bulls that that I don't. We kind of, because we're so small in the big scheme of things, we have to kind of, you know, lean on each other. All right, this worked at Kent's. This didn't work at Kent's. This worked at David's. It didn't work at David's. And so, I mean, I've seen some matings he's done that I thought, well, that kind of worked. And I tried, and it worked, you know. So, um, it you, you know, as small as we are, between us, we've got probably 175 to 200 cows, recips and all. So, I mean, you know, we can't we can't do a lot of gambling on, especially a young bull. Yeah, we have, you know, we pay attention to what the other one's doing. That you know, each of us do, and it it works. It's you know, it's some challenges when it comes down to feeding these bulls in, in two different groups. You know, he's by my farm. We're like six miles apart. He's by the farm quite often, and I go by his lot. You know, and we're just looking at condition-wise, um, make sure we're even key there. And, we, you know, on the phone with each other throughout the feeding program and management of these bulls that, hey, you know, how much are you averaging putting in these bulls? You know, so we're pretty close. Everything feed-wise is the same on these bulls except for one thing, and that's the hay that they that goes into them. And we try to get, you know, that first Saturday in January every year when we take those to the sale facility, we want them to look really uniform. David mentioned something, <clears throat> excuse me, in his comments that Mark had asked, and I was talking about the bull sale kind of started out of necessity. One of the main reasons we started the bull sale is because we heard all these commercial guys complaining about buying these fat bulls, that they would not last, that they would melt, that they would go to pot. And that has always been our goal. We don't have 1,400-pound adjusted yearling weights. Our average adjusted yearling weight will be between 1,150 and 1,200 pounds. The bulls are ready to go to work. They can turn them out. They don't have to worry about them melting like a snowball. And that's one of the biggest complaints that I heard before we started this bull sale. The bulls are, that we're buying are way too fat. So we have made a conscious effort to try to develop these bulls to be more like athletes, not like me, but more like an athlete <laughs> than, than a lot of these other bulls. And that way they, they'll last a long time. And we I've got a I've got a spreadsheet of buyers and attendees for our bull sale. And it's very obvious looking at that spreadsheet when these guys come by back and buy bulls. These bulls are averaging lasting five to seven breeding season. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but it, it is. I mean, it's there. I mean, they buy, and then you can tell when they're getting ready to buy another bull because a year or two before they buy that bull, they come to the bull sale, and you never hear from them before, after the first bull was bought. So these bulls have some longevity in them, and that's one thing we've heard from our commercial customers, that we need longevity. Well, that's one thing that's remained steady all along. What are some things that's maybe changed either in your breeding program as it relates to the sale or that have changed in, in marketing, I guess, of that sale? I can address this. Well, go ahead. I'm thinking. <laughs> I don't. Uh, there's been a lot changed. A lot. We started. 
When we started the sale, it was pretty basic catalog, no pictures, no pedigrees. Basically, it was an, a trifold Excel spreadsheet is all it was. And it was all print advertising in that time. We've transitioned to that from that to a full-blown catalog with pictures, videos. We use DVD auction. Every bull has a video. Every bull is clipped. Some of them clipped twice. Um, we went from actually bringing the bulls in a sale ring to selling the bulls on video. And that was out of necessity as well because it got to the point, we hold it at the local university and it got to the point that we could not, it takes 14 people to run that barn. That's what it takes. We could not find 14 people that had enough cow savvy to bring them in and out of the ring and put them back in their pants. So we had to do something and sale day labor was eating our lunch. So to cut expenses, we went to DV auctions, um, a lot more online presence, uh, a lot more. We, we got a website with Angus Media and we a lot of traffic is directed there through our print advertising where they can request a catalog. It has changed drastically since we started. And so it's, um, it's been, a, it's been a learning experience. But what did you do to, to, to help your customers with that transition? I know we hear a lot of folks that talk about the, the move to video and not pulling the bulls through the ring anymore. And some of it, you know, COVID, um, took that, you know, that, uh, uh, made us make that jump in in some cases did was there a weaning process with your customers uh or did you oh, sure. were you able to kind of move move them there pretty quickly yeah sure i mean it was it was a learning experience made up for all of us you right. know in some aspect or another and but you know both of us had went to sales where they had already done this and you know we talked and we watched and you know observed and tried to do it the best that we knew how at the time. And we did get a little flack, but not as much as I was expecting to be honest about from our customers, you know, not selling, you know, them going through the ring. And, but the grand thing about our facility there that we host the sale at is the bulls are there. They're just out back in 10 by 10 pens that they can still go look at it but yet they get that movement of that bull in his natural, pretty much his natural habitat, you know, out there on the ground, you know, we're walking them back and forth. And it, I think that outweighed the deal of not just bringing it through in the overall scheme of things for the buyer. How do you feel? And one, one thing that drove that decision was those commercial heifers that we were selling. We were trying to bring those heavy bred commercial heifers in that sale ring. And the sale ring was not designed to sell cattle in. It was designed to lead a horse in. Hmm. So <laughs> and the doors were too narrow. We were trying to bring, we sell first calf heifer pair. Trying to bring those young calves through that. And that was one of the main, main driving factors is trying to get five heavy bred heifers in there that's going to calve the first week in February. And that was, that was a big concern as well. And um, so it's, a lot of it's been done out of necessity, but 
I think our customers accepted it very well. They accepted it much better than I expected them to. Uh, but we had we had been talking. We talked to them about it for about a year before we did it to make sure there was no, you know, body really concerned about it. But it's worked well for us, and uh, they're always we always encourage the bull buyers come to the farms, look at the bulls before the sale. And what I've seen change since we started till today is we have more traffic in the bull lots the three weeks before the sale than we ever did in the beginning because they they are actually coming and looking at the bull and that nothing pleases me more they see that animal in his natural environment they can see his feet they can see him walk they can see his temperament they can see it all right there and um it's worked well and then a lot of those people that do come to the lots they never show up at the sale they're on dv auctions and they may buy three bulls so do you miss having them at the sale? Have you seen there be a little bit of a transition in crowd size and some of that? Or is oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. There was there was a time that we could not fit them in the facility. We would the caterer, we asked her to prepare for 300 people and she would run out of food before the sale started. So we went to 350. She was running real close. So, but now the last two or three years, ever since COVID, I guess. Yeah. COVID gets blamed for everything, but I'm not saying it's, you know, I'm not saying it's the reason, but ever since COVID, it seems like what they're doing is either they're going to the commercial heifer consigners farm and looking at those heifers and they're sitting at home on Saturday. And it's like this one young lady that bought several heifers from us. Her and her husband have small children. They both work jobs. They're trying to run a farm. She said, we can come look at the heifers on Friday night. He can farm all day. I can sit in the house on Saturday with the kids and click. And then they'll show up after dark on Saturday to love their heifers and go home. So it, marketing has changed. It's two different worlds now than 20 years. That's the best way I can say it. Do you think it'll you know come back? Is what I guess I'll say. Do you think we'll go back to? Yeah, because I'll be honest. I, I I talk to breeders, and I think we probably all have some some you know maybe some mixed feelings about it. We love the efficiency. We love you know taking care of the customer and and providing them the the most convenient buying opportunity possible. And yet, I think we all kind of enjoy getting together as as uh, this is. We always come back and say this is a people business, right? So, yeah. Do you, do you, right. Is this kind of the new the the new normal um, that that you guys see for the foreseeable future? I definitely think so. Yeah, I really do. And I miss. I watch sales, you know, online um, myself, but I still yet yeah, I miss going, you mm -hmm. know, and speaking to past customers of mine that I see there, or you know, whoever. I really miss that. But as we all, you know, get busier, I guess, you know. We've got five grandkids and, you know, they're getting involved in stuff and it gets harder and harder. And I get that. I understand it. But it like it's like Kent said, we really appreciate the people that take the time to come before the sale. And I am so glad that we do have that option that they can sit in the comfort of their own home and click that button, too. You know, I think it's 
I think it's good. I think I think it's probably here to stay, especially on the registered female sales side of it. I, I do because what I've seen transition on the female part of it is 20 years ago, you'd get these calls and get orders for fall bred cows. I need less than six years old. I want 10 of them. They didn't ask about pedigree. They didn't ask. Now you get calls. I'm interested in these two lots. And those people are not going to drive 250 miles to bid on two, two cows, as busy as people are. And I think the female thing is for sure. I think the commercial guys, they will always, I mean, they're kind of like me. They're more feely touchy, old school, you know, the hard copy, that they're more of that type. Yep. But now as the younger generation comes on, it may change. So what do you guys see as some of the biggest um, challenges and opportunities in the Angus breed looking ahead? What are you looking forward to in the future? Well, I can I can start. I'm, um, do a little plug here. What we're looking forward to, the two of us and one of our neighbors, what we're looking forward to next year is we're going to step out and do our own female production site. Uh, first time we've ever done it. I've consigned to consignment sales my whole life in different breeds. David has for 12 years. This young man, Luke Mason, Mason Farms up here in Livingston. He's about three miles from David. We're going to host a sale on his farm uh, April 19th. Really nice setting. Real nice setting. Uh, beautiful area of the county. We're going to sell about 60 registered females. And there should be something there for everybody. I mean... If you're a maternal guy, they'll be maternal cattle. If you're a performance guy, they'll be performance cattle. Luke Mason, his farm is highly toward the carcass end of things. So there will be something for everybody. And I guess that's what we're looking forward to. We have talked about this for several years, and we're going to jump out and, and try this. And that's something we're looking forward to. I think the challenges for us small breeders like me is in the future are just stay relevant. I mean, you know, it, it, this stay relevant, you know, um, I don't have the big numbers or a lot of land. I operate on a lot of lease ground and I don't have uh, the, the big, you know, the resources to do a lot of things the bigger guys do. But there are some things that I that I can do that they don't you know, have the time to do. And we try to make customer service one of our main things. If we've got a problem with a bull, we go look, we go look. It may take us a couple of weeks to get there, but we go look and we try to fix it. Year in, year out. Is that relationship that you build with them after the sale? We are looking forward to this new venture for us. And like Kent said, you know, we've all consigned cattle to the consignment sales and there's nothing wrong with that. But we just felt like, you know, it's going to help us, you know, narrow down at our female marketing side is one time a year versus where it's been for us is like three different sales throughout a year and, and you know it's in the grand scheme of things we hope that it's you know less time consuming we do it once and we're you know it's behind us then let's go and look at well right here we're going for this you know next time you know and build and we hope by the time that we get the maternal plus seal on our pedigrees that it will pay off yes. on sale day. And I mean, I know it'll pay off at home and I know it will pay off for our bull customers. Those of them that do retain females, but uh, 
that that's basically what we're looking for looking yeah. forward to Guys, real quick, I um, you know, one of the most common conversations I get into with breeders, and and you kind of maybe touched on it a little earlier, Kent, around it's it's about the cow and 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 making sure we don't forget the cow. And yet I also hear you talking about, you know, you're doing ultrasound measurements and paying attention to to carcass merit. So how do you guys balance that? I it's this if you will, balancing the the cow and and the end product merit, the carcass side of things. How do you guys philosophically approach that from uh, from your breeding uh, side of things? And and I guess what do you think is is best for your commercial customers? Well, <clears throat> the balancing act. Uh, I I depend a lot on pedigree. Uh, when I select AI sires, I look at the cow side first. And I don't go two or three generations deep. I go deep. Uh, it's what I do. And um, as far as balancing the carcass and the maternal, I think that's not that big a deal really anymore with all the different types of cattle that we have within the breed. There's so much diversity within this breed. There's no reason for a commercial cow man to buy anything but an Angus bull. We've got whatever they need. You know, it's here. It's there. And uh, so. I try to balance and I talk, I told his son last night the veterinarian, I said, I read an article when we got back in it in 1993 that ABS, and I'm not pushing one semen company, but over another that uh, he was a professor at Kansas State University, don't remember his name. This guy wrote an article about how to make genetic improvement. And he said, don't shoot for the top 1%, shoot for the top 35% in these traits you want to improve. And that's what I do. I try to I try to stay above breed average on everything and try to be between 35 and 50 percent. Now, like I've got some cows, cow lines that need more carcass. I've got some cow lines that need more birth moderation. So but I always go back to the cow side of the bull's pedigree. And that's that's my basic, you know, breeding philosophy. Mm -hmm. David, do you, are you much different there? Not a whole lot, you know. There's one thing that sticks in my mind that you know Kent said there earlier, and you know it keeps going back to it every time these conversations come up. It starts back with that cow, you know. That's that's what I weigh on myself too. Is the cow side, and you know, how can I improve her weaknesses? You know, we've all got weaknesses. And that cow, some cows have got more than others. And I just try to balance that and, and get that more desirable traits that, you know, one might be weaker on than the other. You mentioned earlier, I think, I think it was Kent that said, you you know, if you listen to your commercial customers, you'll learn a lot. And I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. How do you, I guess, what are your commercial customers telling you they, they need today and maybe things that you're breeding for, you know, obviously <clears throat> decision, breeding decisions you made this spring are not going to be delivered to your commercial customers for a couple of years here. But um, what, what things are you hearing from your commercial customers? What, what, what's keeping them in business? Uh, there's basically two things that I, I hear from our, my commercial bull customers that we as an Angus breed need to improve. Number one would be feet and leg structure. And that, that goes back to longevity. They tell me that most of the cows of theirs that fall out at a younger age, five to seven years old, 
that is the number one problem. There's doesn't seem to be that many complaints about the fertility of the cattle, uh, growth or our growth or anything like that. And then the the other thing is is you know a lot of people have pushed these low low birth weight bulls on mature cows, and that's what I hear. I don't want that the, they're they're coming around. We need bulls with some gas in them and some power in them to use on these mature cows. Sure, there's a place for low birth weight bulls, and that's on heifers. But I hear that that is the common theme that I hear more than anything. You know, the, improving the feet and leg structure and longevity of these replacement cows, and then you know, put put more gas in them and having these three to five pound birth weight bulls. To go on these commercial cows, it's weighing 12, 1400 pounds. And they they figured out pretty quick they'll get more winning weight. And it's nothing against the low birth weight or high CED bulls. There is a place for them, but they've decided that that, that place is not on a mature commercial cow. Again, there's a bull for everybody in every situation. That's yes. true. That is very true. We appreciate you guys taking the time to visit with us. Um, we always end on a random question of the week. So random question for you real quick. What's the best part about being involved in the Angus business? For me, it's the data that you all provide us. Hands held devices. We take them to the field. You know, I've got people coming looking, and I'll be honest, I am not the best. I can't, I'm not like this one sitting beside of me. He can tell you every pedigree, you know, knee deep. I, I don't have that capability, I guess, but it's right at my fingertips. And and I really, I really use it a lot. And, and I, you know, that's the biggest thing that I think the Angus deal does for us out here in the field working every day. Well, I, I enjoy the cattle and I enjoy the people. Uh, <clears throat> and I, I made notes. I'm, I'm going to be honest. And one of, the, one of the plugs I wanted to get in here, um, and he didn't pay me, okay? I'll say up front, but we are very, very fortunate in Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee to have Alex Stockton. Yes. Very fortunate. And I just wanted to give him a shout out. He does a fantastic job. I have seen him operate. He goes to guys with 20 cows. He goes to guys with 500 cows. I've seen him do it here in the Upper Cumberland, and he is a great asset for Angus breeders in this three-state area and for the American Angus Association, and we appreciate him. You won't find anybody in, in Tennessee or Ohio that does not brag on Alex Stahl. That's what those are well-deserved compliments. Yeah, uh, I feel like I maybe padded that question a little bit because we're like to Wednesday. It's been a busy season, kind of a rough week, but I didn't really expect you to like just give kudos to the staff, but it'll be kind of fun to bring that bring that back. So <laughs> that's good. Guys, we appreciate it. I, and I, I really applaud what you're doing. And I think I think the model you guys, you know, you you guys talked about relevance and talked about, you know, coming together somewhat out of necessity, but you know, I think what you're doing as you as you join forces, I, I think, you know, we're, you know, I always come back to, you know, 76% of our membership are registering 20 head or less. We're an organization of smaller breeders. Um, and and I think um, 
you know, when, and I've always said this on the commercial side of things, you know, guys, I see guys that are going together and jointly marketing their feeder cattle, um, guys that are going together like you are and, and, and operating big, um, um, by, by joining forces and, and cooperating. I, man, I think that's just a great model. I think what you're doing is really smart and, um, uh, kudos to you for, for making it work. And, um, you know, it's uh, appreciate you coming on and sharing a little of, of what you're, what you're up to and where you're going. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. We appreciate the opportunity. Glad to do it. Thanks for listening today. If you found something you liked in that podcast or something to discuss with a neighbor, give it a share. Go like it on Facebook or find Angus Journal on Instagram. I hope to see many of you at Angus Convention next month in Orlando, Florida, either meeting new friends or finding friendly faces in the crowd. Visit angus.org for more information on registration. And in the meantime, get your daily dose of all the news in the breed by subscribing to the AJ Daily at angusjournal.net. This has been the Angus Conversation, an Angus Journal podcast.